are listening to the podcast for Nerdy Christians, where faith meets fandom. Welcome to the show for progressive followers of Jesus who also happen to love Hogwarts, Hobbits, and drinking mech with Dr. Chef. This is Season 5, Episode 4, Sci-Fi Chaplains. I'm Adam Thomas, and I'm very happy to be sitting across the internet from Carrie Combs. Hey, Carrie. Hey, Adam. Love some sci-fi chaplains. Yes, me too. I actually, uh, I go by the term pastor because it's the gender neutral term for what we do. Um, but I really want to go by shepherd because mm-hmm. of shepherd book in Firefly. Uh, however, the word pastor is basically Latin for the word shepherd. So it works. It works great. Well, and I just love that we're, when we started thinking about this, this has been on my, my, uh, bucket list, my podcast bucket list, which is different from my life bucket list, I suppose, uh, inspired by Shepherd book. And then thinking about all the other people who play this role in the properties we love. Like some of the reasons I like these stories is that there's a chaplain or someone functioning as a chaplain in them. So I'm really thrilled to be talking about them today. Our scripture quotation for today comes from the book of Job chapter two, verses 11 through 13. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all these troubles that had come upon him, each of them set out from his home, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. They met together to go and console and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept aloud. They tore their robes and threw dust in the air upon their heads. They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. And our nerd quote comes today from Star Trek, The Next Generation, Season 5, Episode 3, the introduction of Michelle Forbes as Ensign Roe Laren. Uh, This is her the beginning of her conversation with Guinan in 10 Forward. So I'm going to play Guinan and Carrie's going to be Roe. Am I disturbing you? Yes. Good. You look like someone who wants to be disturbed. I'd rather be alone. Oh, no, you wouldn't. I beg your pardon? Well, if you wanted to be alone, you would have stayed in your quarters. The only reason to come here is to be among people. Who who are you? My name is Guinan. I tend bar and I listen. take or leave the bar but what is important about a chaplain apparently is that they listen that's right that is the through line to all of our the folks we're going to be talking about today although there are a lot of beverages involved i've noticed that's that's very true so why did you want to do this topic what what drew you to putting this on our list well i think as we talk about spirituality and religion and being pastors and priests and teachers in the episcopal church and in our world at large you and I have very specific training. Uh, we both did at least a unit of clinical pastoral education, which meant that we were trained and got to practice being spiritual care providers for people in a clinical setting. In my case, it was a hospital. I don't know about you. Yeah, me too. Children, children's hospital, actually. A lot of priests have this training. Um, but when we're looking at these, the thing, the books and the movies we love, we notice that a lot of characters act as chaplains without being called that title. So having Guinan introduce herself, I tend bar and I listen. And with our recent obsession with Encanto, realizing that 
chaplaincy or spiritual care providing doesn't have to be a profession, although it is, and those people are skilled and talented and trained and equipped for it, that anyone can kind of be a chaplain in their family systems, in their friends' systems, in their neighborhoods. And we, I was just curious to see who else is in there. We, you know, we've got Shepherd Book, he's got a title, but who else is there that acts as a chaplain, even if they're not in a professional capacity? Yeah, so we and we really want to take the concept of chaplaincy today and talk about some of these characters from these various sci-fi fantasy properties and um, expand out the concept of that role of chaplain, the specific role of a chaplain and, and universalize it to how anyone can interact with anyone else. In our friends and families and our social circles, we think about our physical health. We know if someone's sick or someone has an illness or someone has an injury, we think about our social circles and, and how we are getting along with other people. But an important part of our well-being is our spiritual, our spirituality, our the questions that come during crises, um, that come during illnesses, that come during major world events that make us wonder about what does it all mean? Where are we in this world? How do we connect with ourselves, with one another, with what we find sacred, with nature? I was tooling around on the ACPE, which is the accreditation organization for clinical pastoral education. And they had a quote from the World Health Organization that the four dimensions of well-being include physical, social, mental, and spiritual. And they define spirituality like this, and they do define it differently than religion, which is a more like organized set of practices. They say spirituality is a dynamic and intrinsic aspect of humanity through which persons seek ultimate meaning, purpose, and transcendence, and experience relationship to self, family, others, community, society, nature, and the significant or sacred. Spirituality is expressed through beliefs, values, traditions, and practices. And that part of why hospital chaplains exist or prison chaplains or chaplains in any number of situations in a professional capacity, the reason they exist in those places is because one's spiritual well-being, which is deeply tied to our well-being, is often challenged when we have a health crisis, if there is a tragedy or disaster, if we have a loved one who is ill or dying. Um, if we're just simply in the hospital ourselves, you're forced to face your own mortality and all of that can shake a person up. So having these professionals in that capacity can provide some amount of care along with the physical. The definition from the World Health Organization reminds me of one of the things we learn in the training to be mentors in the Godly Play program. Mm. Uh, and that is uh, Jerome Berryman, the creator of Godly Play, writes about uh, existential limits uh, for all people, specifically children, but adults too. And we're confronted with these four existential limits and they are death, the need for meaning, fundamental aloneness, and my favorite and the strangest, the threat of freedom. Ooh. Uh, yeah, which is a really con interesting concept. Um, basically, as you grow up, you become freer mm -hmm. and you need to mm -hmm. contend with that. And those these, these existential limits are the things that when we are confronted with them, having some sort of spirituality helps us to frame those existential limits beyond just ourselves. Mm -hmm. And one of the roles of a chaplain is to help people to do that framing work to support them as they frame their own existence within those limits uh, and to figure out what, how to make meaning through that. 
So you had actually, this was a really helpful thing because I'm, I'm a person that likes concrete examples. And that's the reason why I'm excited to talk about stories and characters. We love to see how that functions because existential limits is a very heady term. And I'm always curious what that looks like in real life. So you had written down some behaviors and types of things that a chaplain does, which mm-hmm. we'll see in all of these characters. Can you share what those are? Yeah, I tried to come up with four ways that a chaplain moves about the world. And they are, uh, a chaplain embodies the holiness of presence, specifically non-anxious presence, but presence in general. A chaplain listens without the urge to fix. A chaplain pursues their own self-differentiation. And a chaplain cultivates an inner spiritual life of peace and centeredness. Uh, and so perhaps we can use this list as a way to kind of talk about our mm. our friends in our fantasy and sci-fi properties. All right. So the first one I would like to talk about is Shepherd Book. When I think Yay. of fantasy and sci-fi priests or clergy, he's <laughs> the per- first person I think of. So Shepherd Book is from the very short-lived science fiction show Firefly, which came out in 2003, I think, on Fox. And uh, it had, I think, 13 episodes. Yeah. Um, but aired uh, out of order. Aired, aired out of yeah, it was a it was a train reason. wreck in how it how it was put together. But it's a lovely show. And Shepard Book is one of the nine members of the crew of the Serenity. Uh, and he's a passenger. He starts off as a passenger and then kind of becomes one of the crew. And he's also has a, a small role in the movie Serenity. And he is played wonderfully by the actor Ron Glass who died a few years ago. Hmm. And uh, he just brings this sense of peace and serenity to Mm -hmm. the ship called Serenity. Um, Even though they're going around the solar system doing jobs of dubious legality in order to keep flying, (laughs) which is what the show is about. Uh, So um, we both love Shepard Book um, for multitude of reasons, but mainly because he does fulfill this role as a chaplain indeed one of the episodes uh an officer of the alliance who has come on board the uh the serenity uh says pirates pirates with their own chaplain that's there is an oddity so that he's even called a chaplain mm-hmm, by somebody mm-hmm. in the show well and the fact that that they would think that's an oddity shows that we sometimes associate spirituality or search for meaning with as like a small group of people who who think about that, but I, what I like about Shepard book being with these folks who are doing things that might be slightly illegal is that they all engage with him in their own way as they live their lives, exist in a very complicated universe um, and wonder, you know, where they're going and how it all fits together. Everyone has searched for meaning. I think if we assume that it's only us who worries about that or only a certain type of people with a certain amount of education, we're doing the world a great disservice. And Shepard book has a wonderful way of, yeah, he can do the religious thing. If you want, like at one point Inara says, you know, would you like to lecture me on the wickedness of my ways? And he's like, well, if you want, but I was just going to bring you some dinner. Um, He can do the religious thing, but he also more importantly can do the spirituality thing where he just listens to the folks on the, on the ship, talks to them 
and is that loving presence. Yeah. And in the, in the, the scene that you just mentioned between him and Anara, who is a courtesan, he comes into her shuttle and she says, so would you like to lecture me on the wickedness of my ways? And he says, I brought you some supper. And like you mm-hmm. said before, a lot of these people are going to have something to do with food service <laughs> or, <laughs> food or beverage or service in a way. But then he says, but if you'd prefer a lecture, I have a few very catchy ones, perhaps sin and hellfire. One has lepers, you know, but he says it in a very joking manner. Uh, and so he really, it, it is it again, that it's that um, ministry of presence. He is coming to her with a meal just to, just to say hello and to introduce himself and to be, and to say that I'm, I'm here if you need me. Uh, And the other line from that same episode that really gets me is when he's looking at the ships, the various ships that he might uh, decide to be a passenger on. um, Kaylee says, so um, how come you don't care where you're going? And book says, cause how you get there is the worthier part. And so we're talking about walking with people. A chaplain is somebody who walks with others, not necessarily leading, not necessarily following, but is walking beside. Part of what that walking beside is, as you noted in the four behaviors, you listen without trying to fix. It's one of the most important things, I think, of being a good listener in general and something that you all may have worked out with your friends and family, at least I have with my husband. Sometimes I'll be sharing a problem from work or from life and I'll say, I just need you to listen. I don't need you to fix this. Um, and and he will, in, de- in fact, just listen and not hop in with, uh, well, have you tried this or, or that? And that's exactly what a good chaplain does and what a good friend can do um, and what Shepherd Book definitely does to the people on the ship. He does not try to fix them. He does not try to come up with some solution. And that's difficult because a lot of us who like to help others, who want to be good friends and family members and members of our community, We think that we can do that best by providing a solution, getting the person out of their pain, out of their stuckness. And what's really often needed is just for someone to be like Job's friends and just sit with them on the ground and be with them. Or at least Job's friends in the very small snippet. In the first seven days. (laughs) (laughs) And then they open their mouths. Yeah, and talk for 30 chapters. Um, So the part that we are talking about in Job is the part where they function as chaplains. Um, Right. Get down on the ground. (laughs) Yeah. Tear your clothes maybe with them. Yeah, and and that desire to be with, to walk with, to listen without fixing really does involve that third element we talked about around self-differentiation and the fourth run around your own inner spiritual life. Mm -hmm. Because again, self-differentiation, like we talked about in our second episode this season, has to do with you being integrated within your own person so that you don't necessarily need the other person to tell you who you are. And, and which allows you to be fully present to the other without necessarily needing something from them in this particular moment. Not that you would never need something from them, right. but in this moment of listening or, or walking with, you are fully present to the other. Um, and hopefully the, the relationship is mutual and that person can be fully present to you as well. But that's what self-differentiation allows us to do. It unlocks that ability to be fully present to actively listen without needing to fix and without our own air monologues going and saying, well, how is this affecting me? Uh, But just being fully present. And that's really hard, which is why uh, we do see that presence as a holy act, as a sacred act, um, because it involves, I think, God 
helping to quiet us down, which brings us to Mm -hmm. that last action, which is the cultivating that inner spiritual life. You can actually help yourself become calmer by recognizing what, uh, recognizing that peace within you and bringing yourself back to that center and settling. And just the, the process of settling is, is so important. Uh, My husband tells a story of, he also was a children's hospital chaplain, I think his second unit. And they often teach you in CPE that you should be ministering to the person that's right in front of you. They might, they might, the family might be saying, oh, that's the patient. That's the identified patient. That's the one you should be fixing. But if they're coming to you at all, you assume that they're the one who is seeking spiritual care, even if it's for someone else. And his story, which he's pretty open about sharing is about going to a family who one of them was, you know, the older child was in the hospital and there was a crying baby. And the family was so agitated and afraid that the baby was crying and that was making everything worse. Um, And he just held the baby for this family. He didn't say anything. He's not particularly skilled with children. We didn't have nieces or nephews at this point. He just held the baby, but because he was calmer, the baby was able to be calmer. And then the family was able to calm down. And then when it was time to hand the baby back to the aunt or uncle, whoever was holding the baby before the baby still stayed quiet because the whole family had calmed. So let's finish up with Shepherd book. Just one more quotation. Mm. Uh, and this chaplains don't have to be um, serious. Uh, they can bring levity to their, mm-hmm. to their work. They actually, I think that's really important um, in, in uh, an episode where there's a little bit of, of uh, fighting uh, Mal, the captain says uh, to, to doc, to the doctor, I, I know you all took up arms and that piece of action back there. How are you faring with that doctor? And the doctor says, I don't know. I, I never shot anyone before. And Shepard book says, I was there, son. I'm fair sure you haven't shot anyone yet. <laughs> And one of the great tragedies of the fact that Firefly got canceled so quickly is that we never really learned Shepard Book's backstory. Uh, They hint at it, uh, and um, it would have been really cool to be able to explore that. Uh, There were some comic books that did a little bit, but nothing ever on screen, which is too bad because he was such an interesting character. And yet part of his, we get to see his journey. We don't know where he's going or necessarily where he's been, but that's what maybe the, the worthy part is the part that we saw where he is in that moment and the lives he touched. Uh, so who's our next uh, chaplain? So I don't know the spirituality or religion of our current, one of our current favorite authors, Becky Chambers, but she has a lot of fantasy chaplains. There's one in almost every book and we could probably talk about them ad nauseum. In fact, there's a very significant scene in our book club today that I'm sure we'll talk about later, but of, of her, ch- there's a whole book about, if you have the time to read A Psalm for the Wild Built, it's about a chaplain. The main character, sibling Dex, is what's called a tea monk. And their job is to live in a tiny house, collect herbs and tea blends and bike from one city and one settlement to another, set up shop, and just let people talk to them. And so there's one scene very early on when sibling Dex um, sets up, starts to establish their own rhythm and become good at this vocation. And they're talking to this person called Ms. Jules, who works in one of these settlements. And after she, she comes up to them and she spills all this, you know, this went wrong and that went wrong and life is difficult. And Dex gives her a cup of tea. And then Miss Jules, this is how it goes. She said, it says, um, 
Miss Jules took her tea to the comfy cushions and, in what looked like it might be the first time that day, sat down. She closed her eyes and let out a tremendous sigh. Her shoulders visibly slumped. She'd always had the ability to relax them. She just needed permission to do so. And so part of what we joked about that all these chaplains have food or beverage involved is, you know, sibling decks, the tea becomes a sort of sign of permission. It says here, I have looked at you. I have taken your tastes and your needs and your life into account. I care about you enough to make this small gesture of making you your own special cup of tea blend. And here's a space for you to prepare to enjoy that, giving them permission just to be, just to relax. And throughout the throughout the book, Dex will struggle with their own need to just be with the help of their new friend, Mosscap the robot. And I will let you read it yourself to find out their conversations. But they wonder about life and purpose and meaning and what's it like to exist. And maybe that's enough. I love how you bring in the concept of just being. And for creatures who call ourselves human beings, we are too often human doings. And uh, one of the things that a chaplain can do for us is to help to remind us that we are beings who, whose main goal is just to be. And to be has to do with coming back to the center of yourself, to that primal verb, I am, the, the, be, the, the verb to be, which is our connection to God, who is the great I am. And I think part of maybe why food and beverage plays such an important role is it's very primal. We need, we need food, we need drink, and we're not always good at taking care of ourselves. We think we have to be productive, active, doing something. And so part of these chaplain sibling decks, we'll talk about Guinan very shortly, um, Shepherd book, bringing a meal for Inara, and then Dr. Chef in another favorite Becky Chambers book, they feed, they give cup of mech or a cup of tea or some blue liquor or something, yes. uh, whatever. Non-alcoholic drink. That she's got. Oh, is it non-alcoholic? I didn't, I just pretty much. Yeah. That's a synthahol. They call it synthahol. Synthahol. That's right. I, I think she that. has a couple of real, the real deal behind the bar, that's but right. she doesn't bring it out too often. So it just gives you permission to, to feed and nourish yourself to relax. I mean, if, if I could have one fantasy food or beverage, I would like to have mech be invented and we'll, you know, so we'll talk about Dr. Chef shortly and he does not, he's not hired to be a chaplain of the crew of the wayfarer in the long way to a small angry planet, but be as the healer and as the chef, he does just that. In her other book, a record of a spaceborne few, we actually have two characters who fulfill a chaplain role, the caretaker and the, what is AS? What is, what is her archivist? Archi no, oh, she's the archivist is, um, sorry, I, I had them mixed up. The archivist and the caretaker. And uh, when I first read this book, I was so enthralled by the character of the caretaker because she felt so much like that chaplaining presence. And one of her big storylines in the book has to do with how she takes care of herself so that she can help take care of other people. It's 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 uh, living into that need for self differentiation and inner centeredness. Um, so one of the one of the hallmarks that makes somebody a good chaplain is their ability to be at peace within themselves, uh, 
which often means, you know, taking, taking care of yourself. And we have this buzzword in our culture these days of self-care. And the reason that self-care exists is because we live in a society that says you need to work, 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 because that's what, that's how you show your worth. And so we then invented this thing called self-care, which for a lot of people just seems like a lot more work. Uh, but what Especially it really, when it becomes commodified and yeah, made right. to consume you, another thing to consume, but all right, yeah. that's another when story. Have pe- <laughs> when, you, when you have to buy a Peloton to do self-care. Or a subscription box. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's a whole nother episode. Yeah, um, it is. But, uh, but this, this idea of spiritual care, I mean, I think about Jesus in the gospel going off by himself and into the wilderness to pray and how, when we think about that concept of Sabbath, it's not a, it's not pausing the, your work as, as in the mission of God, it's actually part of the mission. It's a very integral part of the mission and chaplains can help us to reintroduce the concepts of rest and Sabbath and care so that they are part of, of what we are, of how we are moving in, in the world and not something we do to stop moving in the world. They just are part of who we are and they should be. And that's really what all of what Dr. Chef is and does and the, and the caretaker and the archivist. I mean, the, specifically the fishbowl is Dr. Chef's beautiful little oasis in the midst of what could be entirely work-driven, this crew in the Wayfair on these long hauls doing a lot of very difficult and complicated work. But the fishbowl is a place of a garden that exists just to be beautiful. I mean, there's herbs and there's other things that feed them and it does scrub the air, but the crew is able to connect and just have downtime, have conversations, drink that cup of mech, enjoy a good meal and just exist together. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the fishbowl, we can also talk about 10 forward in Star Trek The Next Generation because it ah, uh, yes. it serves the similar purpose. The first season of Next Generation didn't have the set for 10 forward. It didn't, it wasn't introduced until the beginning of season two. And it became a really integral set uh setting for that show because this is where the crew goes when they are not on duty. Uh, th- this is they're either here or they're on the holodeck when they're not on duty. And the person that they hired to play Guinan, the, the wonderful bartender, is Whoopi Goldberg, who brings this incredibly uh, calm and yet uh, strong presence to this role. Whoopi Goldberg, a huge Star Trek fan from childhood uh, and uh, bringing that love of Star Trek into her role as Guinan. Um, so there's two characters on the Enterprise who might you'd think of in the chaplain role, one of them being Troy and one of them being Guinan. Uh, Troy is not a chaplain because she's specifically a therapist. And that right. is she's her a count- role. Counselor she's a Troy. Counselor, counselor Troy. Her role is something other than a chaplain. A chaplain and a therapist are two different things. If someone comes to me for spiritual counseling, I will tell them very clearly, I am not a therapist. I am not a psychologist. Mm-hmm. I'm not trained in that, but I will listen to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what Guinan does. As we said, with her interaction with Ensign Rowe, I'm Guinan, I tend bar and I listen. And throughout the whole series, she's in about maybe 15% of the episodes of Next Generation. Uh, 
because uh, they could only get Whoopi Goldberg a couple of times a season. Um, I mean, fair enough. But when she's on the show, she always has an important role, an important scene in which she is listening to one of the crew, reflecting back what's going on with them, maybe offering a nugget of wisdom, but she never really tries to fix anybody. She might say something wise, but she's not necessarily doing it because she's trying to make them better. She's just, she's been alive for hundreds of years and she has seen everything. And so she's able to uh, compassionately share that wisdom in a way that allows the other person to kind of come to a better understanding of what they need to do. And I think about that ministry of presence that she she has very beautifully portrayed, like you said, by Whoopi Goldberg, of wisdom and calm and strength, but also of levity and humor. I often, when I picture the character in my, in my mind, she is smiling mm-hmm. and she's almost able to, she's at a lower kind of engine idle speed than the rest of the crew when they come to her. And it, not by making them do anything, but just by being, she invites them to kind of lower mm-hmm. lower their idle speed, calm down and exist with her. And, and you're, like you said, she might offer wisdom, but it's more of a take it or leave it. She's not attached to it. She's not She's, she's very, very able to be lovingly detached. Guinan does embody that holiness of presence that she's there. She's there to listen, just like a good bartender is. Um, and she does listen, I think, without the urge to fix. Uh, mm-hmm. So we, we have these wonderful examples of these fantasy and sci-fi chaplains. But our main goal today is to help everybody listening, not necessarily members of the clergy with our callers or whatever, um, but just to say that everyone can act in that role as a chaplain for the other people in their lives when we live into these uh, wonderful movements of presence and listening and so forth. And so let's just finish up our discussion with a quick hit uh, about Mirabelle because we decided that we were going to talk about Encanto a little bit in every episode. (laughs) So tell me about the three hugs. Oh, I think so. Mirabelle ironically does set out to fix things like her goal is I'm going to save my family. I'm going to fix our magic. Um, And she wants to help. You see that from the very beginning when she's waking up her family and setting out coffee cups and trying to help as much as possible. But her gift of listening and of being kind of the family chaplain finds its true strength when she calms down and listens to others. So I call it the three hugs to save a family. The first hug being Louisa. She knows Louisa was up all night with her eye twitching. And she's like, I'm going to find out why, because Louisa knows something. So she asked Louisa what's wrong. And she is trying to find out for a purpose. But just simply in asking, Louisa opens up and sings the song Surface Pressure. And afterwards, Louisa is breathing heavily. She's just like laid a huge burden out there. There's silence. And instead of saying anything, Mirabelle hugs her. She offers her presence as a loving sister who doesn't expect anything of Louisa and just says, I think you're carrying way too much. And that simple acknowledgement of her sister's burden and struggle is enough to kind of cause Louisa, at least temporarily, to try another way of being where she's not dependent on her self-worth is not determined by her work, um, but she has a purpose of just being the person she is in her family. And we'll see Louisa struggle with that throughout the film and eventually relax, put up her feet, drink a beverage and enjoy uh, just being herself. So then there's the hug with Isabella, which 
Mirabelle provokes this hug. Mirabelle is supposed to go get the hug, right? That's we see in the vision um, that the hug was what will solve the family's problem. So Mirabelle goes and in a way that only a younger sister can do, provokes her older sister into like an incandescent rage. Isabella finally admits, I never want to marry Mariano. I was doing it for the family. And that's when the small cactus pops up, which begins Isabella's transformation into the person she's meant to be, someone who grows beautiful, asymmetrical things. Um, And Mirabelle, at first, is still trying to get that hug, still trying to fix. And the moment that she grows into her listening role with her oldest sister is when there's like that bridge in the song and Isabella singing and Mirabelle says, you just seem like your life's been a dream since the moment you opened your eyes. All I know is the blossoms you grow, but it's awesome to see how you rise. And in that very moment, Isa goes from feeling alone, angry, lost to being connected, and most importantly, seen by someone she loves. And then of course they hug as a matter of at the end of the song and the magic flares stronger. Then there's the third hug. Mirabelle has been accused of hurting the family, of breaking the family. She's run away. And Abuela is faced with the destruction of her own actions. So down by the riverbank, Mirabelle, um, Abuela says, you know, you never hurt our family. We are broken because of me. And then Mirabelle is able to see in Abuela the trauma, the pain, all of the suffering that has happened. She sees her, expresses her love for her, and then hugs her. And that's when we get that third hug that heals the system. So Mirabelle moves from this desire to fix to uh, fixing sort of accidentally by listening Mm -hmm. to these other people in her life, by hugging them, by being that presence that tells them that they are safe to open up. Every one of us has the opportunity to be that type of presence in the lives of those of the people around us. And when we are able to embody that holiness of presence, listen without the urge to fix, uh, nurture our own self-differentiation, cultivating that inner spiritual life, uh, we really become the people that God is calling us to be. And that is people who move through the world nonviolently, who move through the world with the ability to see from other people's points of view, to be that non-anxious presence, and to be part of the healing of this world. on the book club, we're reading pages 148 to 190 of The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. Here is a quick recap. Alone in their chambers, Ohan shave. Clicking and cutting swirls into their fur, they mark on their body the symbols of the cosmological truths that they and other cyanet pairs blessed with the whisperer virus can see. Even though they know that the virus will eventually kill them and the process called the wane is already beginning, they would rather live this way than how their crewmates see the universe, flat and empty. Meanwhile, Sissix is molting, Rosemary mess up an order from Corbin, and Kizzy is having a terrible day. All of this is interrupted when a mail drone comes in. The mail is delightful. A just-cuz box for Kizzy from her dad's, some algae tech from Corbin, info on a body kit for Jenks, and a letter written on paper for Ashby from Pei. However, the Akarak pirates who follow on the trail of the male drone are less delightful. They board, they yell, and a very tense situation begins to develop until 
Rosemary calls out to them in Hanto, the language of their conquerors, and is able to communicate, reaching deep into her memory for one trivial bit of knowledge from a long ago college class. Rosemary is able to work with the invaders, getting them necessary supplies for their children while retaining enough that the wayfarer won't be dead in the water, so to speak. When the invaders learn of Ohan the Cyanot pair, it looks like they'll be lost to the invaders until Dr. Chef spills the news that Ohan are dying. The invaders depart with food, fuel, and credits, and all the non-human crew take time to have a much-needed freakout. As Calm descends on the ship once more, Jenks crawls into Lovey's core and they make the decision together. Despite the risks and possible fallout, they will go ahead and buy the body kit. Why don't we start with uh, the thing we teased in our first segment around Dr. Chef and his conversation with Sissix, I think is probably what you were talking about. It was. And I I love Dr. Chef's interspecies cultural awareness um that he's he's essentially parenting the crew and and when sissix is like Ugh, i can't even with humans today i hate their smooth fingertips and their fleshy faces and how they smell so bad dr chef something says something really beautiful he says you love them and you understand them but sometimes you wish they and me and ohan too i'm sure could be more like ordinary people meaning other andrisks and so he just shows an ability to like put himself in the mind of his crewmate and to count himself as an, a non-ordinary person compared to Sissix, who really at this point is just homesick for her own kind. She wants to be among people who don't care about being naked, who want to be able to cuddle and roll around on the floor together and do all the other lizard-like things that Andrisks like. Um, and all these humans with their needlessly complicated social structures and their stupid wet mammal eyes, she could just <laughs> leave behind for the moment. Yeah, Dr. Chef does something that all good chaplains do, which is listen reflectively, or mm-hmm. uh, in which he mirrors back to Sissix what she's saying. In, yeah. In a, uh, saying, basically, am I hearing you correctly? Mm-hmm. which is a great way to have a conversation with somebody to make sure that you're understanding what they're actually communicating and also helping them to know that you're really listening. And to maybe even name something that they're dancing around, but unable to say what my CPE supervisor called listening for the music behind the words hmm. behind like Sissix's rant. There is really just the desire for them to just be normal. Why can't all these people just be normal like her? Yes. <laughs> and yeah. Dr. Chef very unjudgmentally names that. And at the end of the section we're reading, they have another conversation where uh, the Akaraks have left after their attack on the Wayfarer. And um, basically, Chef and Sissix are talking about humans having a knack for emotional suppression. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they took the time to freak out while yeah, Rosemary yeah. just dove into paperwork. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's such a true statement about humanity that when we are in the midst of dealing with trauma, one of the ways that we quote unquote deal with it, which is not to deal with it is through suppression or diving into work or just doing something so that we are not thinking about this thing. And then at some point it's going to come out sideways uh, and uh, that's what happens. You know, Rosemary just sort of bursts into tears sort of spontaneously a little bit later. Um, but Chef understands that about humans and is waiting for it. He knows it's going to happen, uh, but he's already dealt with his freak out on his own. I do love, I mean, I love the, the Wayne is a ch- the first chapter we read about Ohan 
just kind of sets up a problem that we'll face later in the story. So I don't think we need to talk too much about the Wayne today, except for the useful plot point that is the reason that uh, Ohan will not be abducted later in this chapter. Um, but the whole the whole invasion scene is really the heart of these two chapters and shows, I think, Rosemary growing into her own, not just as a lowly clerk, but as someone who has this cross-species competence and willingness to negotiate under pressure. It also introduces some of the larger political dimensions of this world that the Harmargians were the big empire that had conquered the Acaraks. And now they don't have a home planet. They don't have anything. They're just out cast adrift pirating essentially to stay alive. And she's able to, despite um, Harmargian sort of imposing a capitalistic mindset on them. She remembers at their core, these people's society is very barter and equality centered. And using that one tiny bit of knowledge, she's able to say, you know, you can, you can rob us, but maybe let's make this more of an exchange. And she almost compares it to being like a, a mark, you know, like she's at a market, she's a merchant and they're paying in the currency of withheld violence. And that's how they're able to get, to get through alive. Yeah, and she actually, the, the quotation I wrote down around this scene says, Rosemary knew little of Akarak culture, but from what she had read of them, she did know that they greatly valued the concepts of balance and fairness. The idea of taking more than you could make use of hadn't even occurred to them until the Harmagians showed up. Ooh. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little close to home there. It's taking, very taking more than you can use. Uh, and she Just uses that. Can. She uses that to say, hey, we can all get out of this alive. You have we understand that you're doing this because of past injustices that have been visited upon your people. Let's not continue to pay that injustice forward. Let's stop here and uh, we'll honor your cultural touchstones of fairness and balance. And you can help us to get onto our next port without um being cast adrift in space and luckily the gc has the tab so when they lose all of their ambi to the invaders yeah they'll get some more on the galactic commons budget a very small lion item i'm sure or part of a line item in a much larger budget um i do love the detail that paper is rare and expensive and that oh, they yeah. basically have never seen paper before, which makes sense. They're like, in space. Why would they have paper? How do we open it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I thought that going back to the first chapter, we read, uh, re, the first chapter we read about the Wayne, uh, I thought that the way she writes about sapient life being spread across the galaxy and how all sapient life just sort of followed certain building blocks, you know, and that there were these various different, theories about how, how was there a, you know, a super intelligent species that spread seeds throughout the galaxy, or is it more like that the galaxy uh, plays by a certain set of rules and those rules and a certain set of planets that are a certain distance from their stars that have temperate climates, the Goldilocks planets, or what Star Trek calls class M worlds. Oh, for some okay. reason, um, uh, they uh, these planets exist, and then they have a certain amount of gravity. They have water. They have oxygen. They follow a particular pattern, and the life that grows on them also follows some patterns. Um, and that whole conversation made me think about 
the concept of the logos in John chapter one. Hmm. Um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. Uh, the concept of the word, that's the word logos in Greek. And the logos is also where we get the word logic. So whenever I think about this idea of the Christ being the logic behind creation, I think about how God ordered creation, how it, it is set up in a certain way that makes sense. Um, and it is the logos, this, this, uh, this one who was in the beginning with God, this order, the logic behind creation that I hope has allowed life to spring up on many, many worlds in our galaxy, not just ours. Um, and when I think of, we've talked about this before in last season about the alien gospels, but when I think about life on other planets, it actually increases my faith. Mm -hmm. rather than destroying it because it helps me to remember how much bigger God is than I can possibly imagine. Next time on the podcast, we'll be reading the chapters Cricket and the Last War, which are pages 191 to 232 in The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. Happy reading. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast for Nerdy Christians. Please give us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app so others can discover us too. You can find us at nerdychristians.com or on social media, facebook.com slash nerdychristians and on Twitter at nerdychristians, where I occasionally tweet bad memes. You can find Adam on Twitter at RevAdamThomas or on his website, adamthomas.net. Planar Steel, sequel to last year's Vampire Mist, will be out soon. For you too can find out what that mysterious breathing is to the north. And as always, you can find both of us right here on the next episode of the podcast for Nerdy Christians, where faith meets fandom. Take a deep breath, a sip of tea, or simply sit in the garden of the fishbowl. Just be. God created you, loves you, and sustains you. You are enough. Amen. Amen.